This is Life Admin Life Hacks, a podcast that gives you techniques, tips, and tools to tackle your life admin more efficiently to save your time, your money, and improve your household harmony. I'm Dinah Rowe Roberts, an operations manager, and it was my constant state of overwhelm that led me to starting this podcast. I'm Mia Northrop, a researcher and writer. You know, it's when my chest starts tightening and I'm holding my breath, it's time to reset and change my self-talk. Hello and welcome to Life Admin Life Hacks. When you've got so much going on that you're struggling to cope with it all or going through a stressful situation, we describe this as being overwhelmed. In this episode, we talk about the contributors to overwhelm, including perfectionism, decision fatigue, and multitasking, our tips for managing overwhelm so you can feel calm and in control, and how being on top of your life admin can reduce the risk of overwhelm. If you want to stop your life being derailed by overwhelm, listen on. So the doors to the art of adulting are now open, and this episode is brought to you by our signature membership. So this program features monthly masterclasses to guide you through optimizing your digital tools, as well as decluttering, organizing digital photos, reducing your mental load, money management, and time management. You'll also have monthly mindset sessions to help you deal with challenges like procrastination, motivation, and personal boundaries, plus weekly co-working sessions where you can do your hour of power alongside other members of the community. This monthly program is value-packed to help you get real results. Doors are open for one week only, so sign up now and make 2024 your most organized year yet. Okay, so Diana, when we talk to people about life admin and say, you know, what's the biggest challenge, what's going on for you, what is the word that we hear more often than any other word? Yep, overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed by it all. I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. So we wanted to do a deep dive this episode to understand what overwhelm actually is. We probably all know what it feels like, what's actually going on in our bodies, what's contributing to this feeling of overwhelm, and then how can you deal with it? Because you know, there's that beautiful John Kabat-Zinn quote oh, about, I'm going to butcher it now. <laughs> the one about the waves and learning to surf. You can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf, okay? So there's always going to be swatting flies. There's always going to be flies, but you need to be able to coast through this stuff as much as possible or at least get a handle on it and not feel like you've just chronically overwhelmed and, and in coping mode the whole time. That is not how we want to live our lives. So, you know, overwhelm is that state where you are mentally or emotionally stressed. You can, it can get quite intense where you're flooded by the thoughts and emotions and these physical sensations that are really quite hard to manage. Yeah, and I mean, in the um, intro, me, you talked about that feeling in your chest of overwhelm. And certainly for me, the way that it manifests is is just rage. Like I get angry much easier with everyone. I find it really hard to cope with those day-to-day stresses that usually I can manage to deal with without too many problems. Yeah. There's that real feeling of being raw, like you're on edge. Everything is sort of sensitive to any other little minor stresses that normally wouldn't derail you, but just, you know, you've had enough. And it's a common symptom of anxiety. You know, it's, it's can come about because of life. Generally, if you've got life events going on, you could have a high workload, personal relationships, you know, what's happening in family life, there's any conflict or financial problems or major life changes, or you have, you know, you, you are anxious or you have depression. These are all things that can trigger overwhelm. 
Yeah. And I think that, you know, it can, as I talked about before, it can often be then that all of the other things become very difficult to do, like cooking a meal or organizing event or shopping or checking your email, like those things which maybe on a regular day when you're not feeling overwhelmed are just no problem at all. If you're feeling overwhelmed, those things can just be very stressful, disproportionately stressful to the task at hand, I think. Yeah. And often you might even find it hard to get started on these things because you just kind of find it hard to think clearly enough to actually get started on tasks. That's right. We all have these moments where there's like a peak moment in a week or a month where you get this way. But if you're feeling chronically overwhelmed and stressed, it can really take a toll on your mental health and your physical health. And as I said before, you know, we're aiming for thriving and flourishing, not just coping. So if you are finding that, you know, you are feeling that tightness in the chest, you're feeling that fatigue, you have that sense of helplessness, you, you know, you can feel your heart pounding in your chest or beating so hard. Other, you know, physical symptoms of overwhelm is just having a headache or an upset tummy all the time, or just these ongoing feelings of like hopelessness, like this is never going to get better. It's always going to be chaotic. I can't cope. Yeah. You know, things are going to be, that sort of pessimism can set in. Yeah. And like, it feels like things are just impossible, that it could never, ever be achieved. Definitely. Those are the kind of feelings I've had before. Yeah. And sometimes it ends up, you know, you can kind of try, you get paralyzed, basically. You can't, you start avoiding things and you can't get much done when you're feeling so depleted and kind of like, yeah, it's, it's a mountain, a mountain of stuff to work through. Like it's a cruel thing of our psychology, isn't it? That like often when you've got so much to do that then we have these psychological responses of overwhelm, which make it hard to get started. Like it's yeah. kind of ironic, isn't it? Yeah. But that's often what happens. Yeah. So, you know, we'd encourage you to reflect on your own experiences of overwhelm and recognizing, okay, what does it feel like for me when I get overwhelmed? What are the first signs? Because there is that early warning. I feel like there is an early warning system. And for me, it is the chest. And I realize, well, when did I last take a breath? You know, my thoughts start getting a little bit irrational and I'm like starting to circle, (laughs) cycle down (laughs) a little drain. And that's, I'm like, all right, I need to just step back and look at what's happening and get my head around the reality of the situation. We can talk about some ways to deal with it, but I think we've all been there. We want to point out early on that if this is something, if this is a state that you find yourself in a lot, like all of the time, like chronically, then reach out to a mental health professional, go and see a psychologist or a therapist or a counselor to get some tips on this, because it is something that can lead to, or is part of anxiety. And it can be very hard to live with. It's not a great feeling. It can have a bigger toll on your physical health. So please do go and get some further help. We are not mental health professionals. This will get you so far. <laughs> uh, so like, let's now chat a little bit more about what contributes to that sense of overwhelm. So I think the first one is perfectionism, definitely mm. something that I have struggled with over mm. time in terms of like the pursuit of these unattainable standards. And I think particularly for working mums, it can be a big challenge in trying to juggle that perfection idea of being the perfect mother and the perfect colleague. And that can definitely contribute to feelings of overwhelm. Yeah. There's that, you know, fear of failure. You have to do it just perfectly. Otherwise, you know, what's the point or it's not going to be good enough and I'm going to be rejected. I heard this great Elizabeth Gilbert quote the other day. Perfectionism is fear dressed up in high heels. 
Like it's kind of, you know, it's yeah. actually quite a sort of base emotion that's driving perfectionism a lot of the time. But it kind of sounds fancy because you're doing such an awesome job and, you know, the output or the quality is high. But, you know, if you do have really high standards for yourself in that way, it is easy to be overwhelmed because it's you're going to go the extra mile, you're going to keep pushing, you're going to, you know, over-deliver possibly. This is like where the 80-20 rule comes in and I, I feel like I actually had a – I remember doing like a performance review with a manager earlier on because I, you know, there were, there were moments where it's like you're over-delivering, you need to recalibrate your 80% is other people's 110%. Yeah. So just take it down a level. You do It's fine. <laughs> Your work is fine. And that's sometimes how you have to think if you realise that you have those perfectionistic tendencies. It's like, you know what, my 80% is probably other people's 110% and I can just take it down a level. Yeah. It's a mindset shift here around also, you know, moving from perfection to progress. Progress is what we're aiming for, not perfection. Perfection is impossible. Yeah, and I think that that's kind of, it's like the same with the idea of, you know, having this, the to-do list that's complete. <laughs> like the reality is you can have that moment, it's like inbox zero, you can have it for like a minute usually and then the next email hits you and kind of just accepting that that is, it's going to keep going and you kind of need to live with that imperfection and incompleteness and yeah progress is is what we're aiming for yeah done that is better than perfect definitely and that's definitely something that I have embraced over the last you know you know probably five years as we've worked through this podcast is you know that idea has really helped me change my mindset particularly around a lot of things with life admin because in most cases making some progress on it is better than doing nothing and I think often Mm -hmm. when you feel overwhelmed by the task you just do nothing and that's usually a far worse solution yeah catching yourself in that all or nothing thinking thinking I need to do it perfectly or why do it at all you get to catch yourself in those moments is, is really insightful to realize what you're doing to yourself there's so many books around getting out of that perfectionistic mindset so I will put some in the show notes I really encourage people to work on that because it's uh, it contributes to so much stress in so many areas of life yeah so another area that I think definitely contributes to that feeling of overwhelm is decision fatigue and you know cognitive overload in terms of the amount of information that you're getting and certainly in today's world when we're bombarded with information all the time it really means that your brain just gets so exhausted from from trying to scan all this information trying to make sense of it and in particular when you're trying to make decisions based on it yeah it's really exhausting trying to make choices all day long a brain you know there's only so much you can deal with and you know, sort of again scrutinize the information sources that you are consuming and how frequently if your habits are that you know you get up in the morning you check your phone you're scanning your email it's like boom 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 then you're listening to the news boom 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 and then you're talking to your family you get in the car or on your commute or whatever you're doing next and absorbing all this information not to mention you know the decisions that you have to make around the house about you know if you're the person that's making all the decisions around what everyone's wearing what's for dinner what's happening later that weekend organizing school holidays making a whole bunch of decisions at work, that can truly get overwhelming. It's a lot. So cognitive overload is real. It is different from the mental load in terms of the anticipating and the planning that goes on. Cognitive overload is really just dealing with with information and trying to make decisions. 
And I think it definitely happens when you try and do comparison shopping. So I think that that is an area where that cognitive overload and decision fatigue comes in and you try and you know, absorb all the information when you're trying to comparison shop and then you actually, you're making lots of micro decisions and then you actually then can't close the deal, so to speak, and do the work. So I guess that's where our tips around just comparing three offers, really focusing on the features that are important to you and actually getting it done make a huge difference to yeah. stop that overwhelm. Yeah. So, you know, there's some other beautiful techniques for streamlining decision-making and simplifying the choices you make in daily life. So we probably all heard stories about, you know, people who wear uniforms to work essentially in terms of their own personal uniform and like Barack Obama wearing the same suit what, no, no, what, Steve Jobs, like people who just wear the same thing every day. Obama did too, didn't he? Like- I, feel, I feel like there's a story there. But <laughs> I can tell you, like when I was in corporate life and going to an office, I had a range of Uniqlo V-neck jumpers <laughs> and pants and I would just swap them in and out. I, like, I, you know, I totally had a uniform for what I wore to work. I had the same thing for breakfast every day. I pretty much have the same thing for lunch every day. <laughs> like I'm just, you're just taking out some of that decision-making through routines and also putting things in a schedule so that you've just, you've decided once, you've baked it into your day or baked it into your week and you don't have to make little decisions all the time. Yeah, I think like that meal planning is another one where, if you've planned your meals in one lot of decisions, then you don't have to keep deciding every day. It makes a huge difference to that feeling of 5 p.m. freak out when you don't know what you're going to have for dinner. Yeah. And there's also the benefits of prioritisation to reduce that cognitive overload where you just decide what's important and what you are going to focus on and let everything go or know that you can park that for another day, another moment. So you're not trying to think about everything and deal with everything at once. With that to-do list, you really need to be flicking the items up and down in terms of priority and getting the ones that don't really matter out of your line of sight. Yeah, and I think that's where, like, if you're really clear on what's your values and what's important to you at your season of life and actually deliberately saying, I'm not going to look at this area or focus on this because it's not important to me right now and letting go of it, that reduces your sort of cognitive load of things that you're thinking about. Yeah. Okay. Multitasking. I feel like people have talked about how crappy multitasking is for a long time now. Is anyone still trying to do it? Because the jury is out. It cannot be done. So multitasking is that idea that, you know, you're trying to do more multiple things at once. And I feel like for a while there, there was this sort of focus, yes, multitask, it's a way to be more productive. And there was all this stuff about women being better than men and multitasking. It turns out no one is good at multitasking. It is not good for you. There's this idea that if you're trying to look, you know, switch between different tasks, there is this penalty of context switching where it actually takes you like 20 minutes to really get back and get in a state of flow to focus on doing one thing really well. I know I watched a YouTube video with my son the other night because he claims that he can do his homework while listening to a podcast or watching or having a YouTube video. And so I was trying to show him a video of this thing which says it's actually not multitasking, it's task switching and that you're switching from one task to the next. <laughs> Needless to say, I cannot convince a 14-year-old of the wisdom of task switching. But anyway, I can only try. <laughs> <laughs> I had the same conversation with my daughter who had a laptop on her computer. She's like, I'm just going to do my homework 
in front of while I'm watching TV. And I'm like, you can either do your homework or watch TV. <laughs> You're basically going to take a 20-minute homework activity and stretch it out over an hour and a half because you're trying to do both and you can't. Oh, and then, you know, literally three hours later, we're still watching TV and she hasn't finished. And it's like, yeah, that's this is, this is an experiment that has failed, honey bun. This is where like really being clear about the role of phones in multitasking and like notifications is really important. Like even, you know, obviously at work when you're getting pinged and being able to use, you know, do not disturb functions, but even at home, if you're trying to actually do a meaty life admin task or even like do your meal plan for the week, you need to like put your phone away from you or put it on do not disturb so you don't get distracted by any notifications or, you know, messages or WhatsApps or emails coming Mm. in reducing those kind of interruptions that are not deliberate in your day can really make a huge difference in terms of your stress levels and also your productivity when you're actually doing those tasks yeah one of the times I do multitask is when I am doing something kind of a little bit mindless in front of the telly but the key word there is mindless so I might have my laptop on my phone with me and I'm watching television and I'm not really paying attention to what I'm watching. So it's a low investment TV show <laughs> that I'm semi-watching and I'm like going through my emails and just deleting stuff or I'm, you know, last night I sat trying to find a cat sitter so I'm just scrolling through profiles while I'm half listening to a television show. And I, and I guess it was very intentional because I knew that the activity I was doing was pretty mean, you know, menial and mindless, and I wasn't really needing to concentrate on the television show. So I think if you can approach those kinds of situations intentionally, not thinking, oh, this is going to be the most effective, productive way <laughs> for me to buy a cat sitter, I wouldn't have done it like that if I had, you know, if it was urgent yeah. or if I really wanted to get it done quickly. One task at a time is the way to go you know, and be mindful about it, get into that sense of flow, get into that flow state where you do get super productive and you can be incredibly effective because you're fully concentrating. I love when that happens. I have like a little playlist that I put on to usher me into that state. Yeah, when you get it, it feels amazing and you achieve so much. It's the best. (laughs) Okay. Another thing that contributes to feelings of overwhelm is FOMO and comparisonitis. Still struggle with FOMO. You know that. I hate missing out on anything. I always want to be there. And so it is, it's my risk is that I overschedule myself because of my FOMO tendencies. Yes, I, I just I would all often of you all slash confusion of how much you pack into a week, and I'm like I'm I'm done by you know social event number two. That is it. But yeah, it's a real it's real. You know, you want to be where the action is. You want to be having the fun, seeing the people, doing the things. But it can get to be too much physically and emotionally and mentally. But there's also that comparisonitis part of it, you know, when you're comparing yourself to others, that can lead to feelings of inadequacy and trigger these feelings of overwhelm because you're like, oh, how do I do that? How do I be that? How do I have that? And you can go into a spiral of, of looking at that gap a perceived gap. It's always a perceived gap. You yeah. never really know what's going on. Well, what do you do? What do you, what do you, how do you talk yourself out of the FOMO feeling, Dan? I think that like having a really good handle on my calendar really helps me realize that I can't pack everything in, if you know what I mean. So I do think that's like the 
experience of just being older and knowing like what the implication will be is if I do five things on a weekend that actually then I'll feel wrecked for the whole next week like it's too much and the, I won't have managed a meal plan and etc cetera, etc cetera. and so I think some of it is making sure that you've got some of those mundane tasks in your calendar because then you realize you are actually over scheduling yourself and if you find yourself getting to the end of the weekend and you haven't found time to do the grocery shopping or found time to do the laundry or whatever it is that you need to make your family run smoothly, then adding those things to your calendar can stop you from packing too much in. And I think another one is like regularly scheduling in like an afternoon of nothing, like putting that in my calendar. So often when I am looking ahead, I will start to deliberately schedule in some weekends where there's nothing on a Sunday or things like that. Yeah, yeah. So you focus sort of more on the consequences of what happens to me if I do pack too much in and I get exhausted. What about the actual feeling of the missing out part? Do you you spend much time like talking yourself (laughs) off that ledge? So I've been reading this book about stoic philosophy. It's really good. It's by Bridget Delaney. He wrote Well Mania, which has popped up on Netflix as a television show. The Stoics, the ancient Greek Stoics were concerned about FOMO as well. (laughs) Really? This is a, you know, perpetual part of the human condition. And they were talking about, you know, just having, having gratitude for what is, for what you do have, rather than focusing on what you don't have and how... You know, there are benefits to not going to the party, whether you couldn't go because you didn't get invited or you couldn't go because you're too exhausted or you had competing pros or whatever it is. There's always reasons why. But really focusing on, okay, what do I have? What, how will I use that time that's going to be beneficial so I can move away from that uncomfortable feeling of I feel left out or I feel overlooked or nobody likes me, what's happening? You know, and really shifting on the reality of, There's plenty of stuff going on, other things to do. I can use this time in a positive way. I think that is an important part of the the thinking that needs to go on when you're trying to deal with FOMO. There's there are benefits. You know, it's thinking about the opportunity cost. If you did go to the thing, there's an opportunity cost as well as not going to the thing and focusing on the benefits of that. Yeah, I think one of the other things that I now do, which I would never have done before because I used to have such a fear of disappointing people, is if something else comes up and, you know, maybe it's like something for my kids that I really want to be at and so have massive FOMO, more likely to actually cancel a plan I'd previously made and I feel more comfortable because I think I've done a bit more work on thinking about what my values are and what's important Mm. to me and if something comes up that's more important to me, I'm more comfortable to say, actually, I can't do both. So I'm going to actually decline on something I previously committed to, you know, politely and appropriately. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, I never used to feel comfortable doing that. You're growing, Dan. You're growing so much. <laughs> <laughs> Comparisonitis, I feel like social media has set that on fire. It's like a dumpster fire of yeah. mental health challenges there. You know, comparing yourself to other people's lives, other people's goings on, it's that always that curated view that you're seeing. And sometimes even if you remind yourself of that, it's hard to just think, oh, they've got they've got it going on. How am I doing in comparison? And that's where it becomes really important to set your own personal goals and compare, you know, yourself to where you used to be, not comparing yourself to someone else. You're often comparing sort of, you know, your day three to their day 409 of whatever it is you're looking at. You know, you never know how much effort and time people have put into whatever it is you're comparing between the two of you. And you never really get the full picture. 
it's it's a dangerous trap to fall into. Okay, next one. Definitely a huge one for a lot of people in terms of overwhelm is procrastination and avoidance. And the more you procrastinate, the more your overwhelm builds into this like spiral of procrastination, overwhelm, avoidance spiral. Yeah. The more you delay tasks. Yeah. And we all know those tasks. They're the tasks that trigger those uncomfortable feelings, which might be boredom, tedium. You might be thinking, this is too hard. I don't want to do this. It's going to take too long. We've all had these conversations in our head and you put it off and you put it off. And it just, I used to call them blockers. Sometimes they would lurk for weeks or months or years. You just avoid avoid them and they just hover like little specters. Yeah, I've seen a few things on social media recently, like little, you know, quote kind of things that says, I just finished a task that's been on my to-do list for three years and it took 10 minutes to do. Often it's the case. I mean, not always because sometimes they're big chunky tasks, but often you procrastinate and then there's that you know, that feeling of overwhelm that gets created because it's one more thing and, you know, it's been hanging around for such a long time. Yeah. But it's easier said than done to actually overcome procrastination and actually do the thing. Yeah. And that's because it's all down to emotional regulation. <laughs> yeah. That is that is at the root of procrastination, just actually having a handle on your emotions and riding through the, the discomfort. I, can, I often think of myself... Climbing onto a horse and galloping down a beach and like going through a force field. It's like I can make it to the other side. I'm just gonna sit down. And literally, as you said, you can think about it for way longer than it takes to do the thing. You're just gonna break through that barrier, that 10 minute, 15 minute barrier of sitting down and starting. And then you probably usually do get into the hang of it and you're like, all right, you can see the finish line. So now when you're procrastinating everybody, I want you to think of me on a horse galloping down the beach. <laughs> we can do this. We can do this. I, and I actually read something that says even if you do one minute, you're more likely. So you can kind of say, actually, I'm going to put the timer on and I'm going to do one minute. And yeah. if I'm really not feeling it after a minute, then I'll stop. A step away. But actually, usually you'll just keep going, particularly for those smaller tasks that you can procrastinate on. Ever. Yeah. Well, that is like the number one tip is breaking them down into smaller, more manageable yeah. steps. You know, James Clear with his atomic everything, the baby is step. What does he talk about? Like if you want to start flossing, like you just start flossing one tooth. One tooth, yeah. <laughs> and that is key to procrastination. So if you've been procrastinating about getting your tax done for the year, you can just think, all right, I'm just going to open up my Google Drive and create one folder that says deductions and that's it for today that's all I'm doing and just like sneak up on it approach it from little baby steps dancing towards the main tango oh god my metaphors all (laughs) over the place the other things that can help with procrastination is setting realistic deadlines sometimes people are very deadline driven if they actually give themselves a deadline and they'll, they'll meet it and that's helpful if you also have some accountability So we've been running our co-working sessions, our Hour of Power weekly workroom. Those co-working sessions we are bringing into the Art of Adulting program because it's blown everyone's mind how just having this thing in the calendar where, you know, other people are going to show up and you're all going to sit down and do your life admin together has like shifted the dial for them in terms of productivity and doing the things that they've been procrastinating about for so long. So having that accountability can be really important to avoid. Avoid the avoidance. (laughs) 
Uh, and I think another area that I, this is another hot spot for me in terms of overwhelm is when you have this perceived lack of control. Mm. So where you feel like you can't control the situation or you don't know how to tackle it definitely creates this huge feeling of overwhelm. Yeah, that feeling where you just don't have agency, like things are just happening to you. It's, that's, again, another awful feeling. And there are certain, I guess, life events that Often, often like that, things just come out of the blue when you have to deal with it. With most life admin, most life admin is scarily predictable. Like it's boringly predictable what's going to come your way. But life events pop up and they can throw spanners in the works. Definitely illness. Like I think that's yeah. when there's an illness, like you're someone you're caring for, those sorts of things. You know, that feeling of lack of control of that situation and also not knowing what's going to happen next definitely can contribute. Yeah, there is that folly that really we aren't actually in control it's and again I think there's so many articles written about this when the pandemic hit yes that we all feel like we have control over things but we don't (laughs) and it's so it's this strange dissonance yes it's the word like it's like we kind of this is how we go through life thinking we are in control but we're not and again oh I'm gonna raise stoic philosophy again because I'm Mm -hmm. loving this book the stoics talk about all you can control is your actions, your reactions, and how you treat people and how you think about things. That is it. Other people's behaviours, other people's choices, everything else that happens in the world, completely out of our control. So I feel like sometimes what when we feel like we don't have control over our life, it is the fact that these events are popping up that we thought we did have control over, but it's like reality check, you never did have control over that. But also we feel like our thoughts are out of control and our own emotions and our own behaviours are out of control. And that is also not a great feeling because you feel like you're being triggered and you're just sort of reacting to things and you haven't had the chance to just sort of respond. That's another, you know, great challenge of the human condition of <laughs> that, that, those milliseconds between the thing happening that's freaking you out and you deciding not to lose your shit or not, you know, <laughs> the milliseconds there where you're like catching yourself and going, okay, take a breath, just think about this before I explode. I must admit, just even talking about the fact that nothing's in my control makes me feel kind of, <laughs> feel a bit stressed. But I think that that's where, like, you know, I guess you really need to focus on the things that you can control, like what is within your domain. And, you know, that's where if you have your life admin under control and your systems and everything in place, when those things do come at you unexpectedly, you can deal with them because you've got the energy because all of the other things in your life aren't causing the overwhelm. That's right. That's it. I think having that environment set up in a certain way that provides as much ease as possible and having tools and strategies that you can employ when when crazy stuff does happen and you do feel like things are jumping up, it's like, okay, I have a strategy for how I'm going to deal with this. You know, it might not be automatic, but you know, you've got, to, you've got tools in your toolkit that can help you cope with this. And let's like, yes, yeah, switch focus now and talk about all the various different ways you can manage overwhelm because we're surfing on those waves that are just going to keep on coming. <laughs> well, definitely the first one is really, and I think we've already talked about, about this a bit, but really the mindset shifts. So really um, having that sort of resilience mindset or growth mindset, you know, and a belief that, you know, you can develop these abilities, you can develop these competencies and that you can actually learn to handle these things better. 
Yeah. And sometimes that's about challenging the, you know, the stories that you've been carrying around, like the ones that go like, I will never be X. I could never do X. I grew up in a house where this happened and so I don't know how to X and I will never know how to X. You know, growth mindset means that we learn things, we can change as opposed to a fixed mindset where you're like, this is the way it's been and this is the way it's always going to be. So, you know, I feel like there are lots of areas where I've like thought, I don't know if I can be that kind of person and turns out you can, you know, <laughs> and it's, it's a big, there's a lot of self-talk, it's a lot of change, it's a lot of experimenting and it's also a lot of turning around and looking at yourself and thinking, oh, two years ago or five years ago, I wouldn't have thought that I could do that, but I'm now on the other, other side and look, we did it, we did it. Cultivating that growth mindset and recognising when you have you know, those challenges that you've come through and how you have grown can be really good evidence for giving you the confidence to try new things and, and realise, okay, I can learn, I can change, I can grow in certain ways. Yeah, and I think changing the thinking about when you do have setbacks to thinking about those as like learning experiences, like what you've learned from it rather than it being a complete disaster yeah. is definitely part of that change in approach to mindset. Yeah. And I feel like we do this a lot with our kids who, you know, they might be afraid of doing something or feel overwhelmed by something new that's new to them. And often as parents, we point out to the fact that, well, you know, you can do hard things. This happened and you remember you did this and it was fine. And often we have to turn that same strategy and advice on ourselves. It's like, you can do hard things. This happened to you and you got through the other side and you'll be able to get through the other side of this as well. Yeah. Another area of helping deal with overwhelm, which, again, we've talked about a bit already, but is obviously uh, we're huge fans of is time management, particularly around time blocking, so really scheduling time in your calendar to work on those important tasks and really prioritising the things that are important to you. Yeah. There's a healthy dose of realism that needs to happen with how long tasks are going to take or, you know, when when is it reasonable to expect this to be done and, you know, when we're going on our, starting our life admin journey, by the time we researched and put everything in place, it was like a good year to 18 months before things actually felt humming. So if you're thinking now, look, I am overwhelmed, things do feel chaotic, I don't really have systems set up, give yourself some a, a good leeway of time to, to move into this new way of being organised and start with some time management strategies around you know, blocking out time to do certain things and prioritising what you're going to work on. We've got a whole other podcast episodes on time management, the one with Christy Flora particularly around managing your energy and attention as much as time, time in curly quotes, <laughs> really good skills to adopt. Another one I really think is the importance of setting boundaries in both your personal and professional life. And I think this is like actually a word that I think is becoming like a more commonly used term. And I've read a great book on boundaries recently. Oh, I can't remember who wrote it. I have to put it in the show notes. You know, spending some time thinking about what your boundaries are and then communicating those effectively so that you can tell people, you know, this is, you know, this is too much for me. This is where my boundaries set into 
terms of what I, you know, am willing to do and, you know, won't do can hugely help when it comes to overwhelm. Because if you understand what your boundaries are, if you spent some time thinking about it, it makes it way easier to communicate that to others where, you know, they might be giving unrealistic expectations about what you can achieve. And for those of you listening, thinking, what is a personal boundary exactly? It's essentially like a line, a metaphorical line you don't want people to cross. And so you can apply that line in lots of different dimensions. It might be like physical boundaries in terms of how close people physically get to you, whether they can touch you or not, whether they can touch your hair. I can't tell you how much as a kid people would just start touching my hair and I would look at them like, why are you just (laughs) touching me with no concern? That's in my boundary. But it can also be emotional boundaries and kind of other sort of personal boundaries about the kind of behaviour that you will or will not put up with and the things you will or will not do, the things you will and will not condone. So examples of personal boundaries where you feel like boundaries have been crossed might be when people are asking you to do things where you're like, hell no, I am not doing that. And you can feel it. Often you have like a visceral response. It's like, oh, no, that's just wrong town. Doesn't necessarily sort of need to be an intellectual decision. That is that is your boundary. Sometimes you're aware of them. Sometimes you're not. But it's important to reinforce them and actually communicate them to people with certain things because they they are asking you to do things that you don't want to do. Well, you just explain your boundaries to them. Yeah, definitely. And I think if you haven't ever like spent some time thinking about them, it can be hugely valuable to do that work to think about what my boundaries are and Mm. and in particular how to communicate them effectively to others okay another area is definitely self-care so self-care is really important to managing overwhelm and you know preventing things from spiraling either further into burnout or anxiety for me that self-care that I would do when I'm feeling overwhelmed is definitely going for a walk it's definitely trying to get outside into nature that really helps me but for others it might be journaling it might be hobby it might be you know even seeing friends whatever self-care can really help contribute to that reduction of overwhelm yeah we spend we do a whole session on self-care in the course because it is so important to promote well-being and that's going to be impacting your physical health and your mental health and yeah it looks like it looks different for everybody the key thing to think about with self-care is that it's not about being selfish you know you can look after yourself without it being at the expense of others It's really about filling your cup, filling your cup regularly so that you can be there for yourself and you can be there for others. I think self-care for women is often sort of seen as indulgent. It's about bubble baths and pedicures where it's a lot more basic and fundamental than that. It's a lot more essential to that, you know, supporting and serving others. And we can't do that effectively if we are depleted and we need to be promoters of our own health. So whatever it looks like for you, make sure it's baked into your week, that it's not just a quarterly thing where you go and disappear for half a day and have a massage. Find the little things in your day and your week that are filling your cup and giving you a moment to reset and recharge. And sometimes I also think with self-care, there's this kind of feeling that self-care always looks like retracting, like disappearing, like making yourself less available which is kind of, you know, quite a constricting approach. Sometimes it can be the opposite. Sometimes you need to actually expand. You actually need to get out into the world, get out of your own little bubble at home and go and and do some fun things out in the world and go and connect with people. 
And you'll know what's right for you, whether you do need to retreat and kind of hide away from the world a bit, or what is going to recharge you is getting out into the world and and connecting with other people. What do you do to self-care? What did you what did you describe? You like to go for a walk? So for me, definitely when I'm feeling that, even if I'm having a really overwhelming day at work, I will actually even just try and leave my desk and go for a walk outside. I might just go for a walk around the block. It's kind of just this feeling of like calm that comes from that kind of getting outside, breathing some fresh air and taking, you know, moving your body. You know, it's kind of an uncomfortable thing to say that generally lying on the couch and watching Netflix is actually not very good self-care. You know, it might be occasionally, but for Mm. most people it doesn't make you feel better. It generally doesn't energise you and it certainly doesn't usually beat overwhelm other than maybe distract you very briefly from the problems. Yeah. That's a good point because distraction is, it can be a form of self-care but it's often not the most nourishing. Sometimes even doing like something like meal prepping is self-care for me because I'm I'm setting things up for future me that I know are going to be really helpful in a minute of overwhelm. Yeah. That counts as self-care, but I kind of, I guess with co-parenting and being by myself for a whole week and then having the kids for a week, often my self-care is going out into the world and going and connecting with other people because I have lots of time by myself. I don't need to like hide away. (laughs) By default, it's hidden away. (laughs) So kind of related to self-care, and it probably is a part of self-care, is looking at mindfulness and stress reduction. So mindfulness and meditation practices where you're doing, you know, controlled breathing and breath work and either guided meditation or mindfulness when you're tuning into the moment noticing what's actually around you and being fully present into the moment. The research is clear that these really help bring down your stress levels as well. So if you haven't got a mindfulness practice or a meditation practice or you've flirted with it and decided, I can't meditate, at least think about how you can do breathing exercises because things like box breathing where you're holding your breath and breathing for certain seconds They just bring down that fight, flight, freeze response, reset your whole nervous system and will make you feel better. So, yeah, that's another aspect of self-care. And I think a final one, definitely one that's close to Mia's heart, is organising <laughs> and decluttering. So definitely the feeling around, you know, if you've got an organised environment, it, that clutter-free environment can, for many people, really reduce the sense of overwhelm. Definitely does for Mia and probably me too, but yeah, Mia's the queen of decluttering. <laughs> well, I, it's that outer order in a calm. Like yeah. I can't, if I walk into chaotic spaces, or not chaotic, but just cluttered spaces, I feel claustrophobic and I can't think. Like it's really an immediate visceral reaction for me. So, yes, I like decluttering. I like the sense of purging. I like the sense of giving things away so that they'll be useful. But I also just like looking around my house and feeling like I know where everything is, everything that's here I like. And there's room for things, you know. There's the kitchen bench is clear. It's actually an efficient workspace. I don't have to (laughs) fight my way through stuff to do things. So, yeah, if you're feeling like that heaviness in your home, some of that can be contributed by the fact that you do have so much stuff. And I just watched on Netflix that, you know, The Minimalists, yeah. it's so inspiring. If you need a little inspiration about embracing decluttering and how freeing, how physically freeing and mentally freeing it can do, it's helpful to watch some of those shows. It gets, I literally get up from watching them and go, what can I chuck out? What can I get rid of? Get twitchy. <laughs> 
Well, I think that wraps us up for today. So I hope that the hacks we've shared today will help you manage a bit better the next time you're feeling overwhelmed. Yeah. If this is something that you struggle with, please do join us in this intake of the art of adulting. We can give you the results that are going to tackle this methodically between our masterclasses and our mindset sessions and co-working. We'll get you onto the other side so that you're feeling confident and can say goodbye to overwhelm. Thanks for listening. Show notes for this episode are available at lifeadminlifehacks.com. And if you're a fan, please subscribe and share the love and tell a friend or review us in your podcasting app. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn.